everyone, I'm Jennifer Duck, and today we're getting grounded on purpose. This is certainly my most public timeout, and I'm not taking it lightly. My intention is to create a space where we can learn, reconnect, and grow together with some of the most inspiring thought leaders, colleagues, and friends who can help each one of us find our purpose. So take a timeout with me, and let's dig in. We are just over a month into the new year, and this means you may be one of the 80% who have already broken your New Year's resolutions. But I'm here to tell you, it's all going to be okay. And you don't just have to take it from me. I have an amazing health and wellness expert who's going to break it all down and tell us why it's okay if you abandon those lofty New Year's goals. I first met today's special guest when I started teaching as a full-time professor. I was at an orientation, and a woman named Marnie Vandenoven started talking to a room full of new professors about why it's important to incorporate wellness into our everyday routines. I found myself nodding while she talked, and I thought, I hope I get to work with this amazing woman, even though we're on the opposite sides of campus. If you listen to this podcast at all, you know I'm one of those weird introverts who somehow musters the courage to speak out when someone way cooler than me crosses my path. I've served on several committees with Marnie, but when I was researching more about her background for this episode, I realized there was so much more I didn't know about her. Marnie received her doctorate in integrative neuromuscular physiology, exercise physiology, and exercise science, and has worked professionally as a physical therapist and athletic trainer. She also travels the globe as a professor and has some incredible stories to share with us today about health and wellness tips from around the world. Marnie Vandenoven, welcome to Grounded on Purpose. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, before we dig into our wellness, and this is all kind of a part of that, I want to just mention to everyone that you're in Belfast, Ireland right now. How cool is that? I mean, that's so cool. It is Um, extremely cool, actually. ah, I have never been there. Is this your first time there? This is my second time here. So tell us what you're doing in Belfast in terms of health and wellness. I am teaching an honors wellness seminar to our students in Harlexton and our students in Belfast. That is so cool. And I'm a total nerd. And I was like, Marnie, can you send me your syllabus? I really want to read it. Um, And I read a big part of this course is self-care and exploring what it means to be healthy and well. And I feel like we all need this self-care. It's a big kind of buzzword that's out there. But what do we learn and what can we learn in like a course about self-care? What do we need to do more of in terms of self-care? I think one of the most important things that students learn in this class is that they can actually, they have a lot of power to take care of themselves. And sometimes I think we feel powerless. Mm -hmm. So I think the most important thing is that they learn that they have control over it and they can make positive changes, even if they're just little ones to their different dimensions of wellness. And as someone who maybe isn't a college student, so let's just say a 30 something, 40 something <laughs> year old woman, um, mother doing all the things in terms of self-care. Is that just like sometimes taking 30 minutes to do a bubble bath or stretching or yoga? What are some things we can do that are pretty easy that aren't going to take all day or even take time to go to a physical location, like a gym or something? Absolutely. So one of the most wonderful things about wellness is that if you're mindful of your own wellness, you can make huge differences in very short periods of time. So for example, hopping into the car, going to pick up your kids from school. If you normally use that time 
to just only think about how quickly you need to get there so that you're not late and you're rushing, rushing, rushing. And then you get there and you get the kids and then you ride and then you go straight to the grocery store and then you go home. And instead, if you took that time to maybe pick your favorite song or listen to a book that you like or listen to nothing and just have the quiet time in your car before the chaos of picking up kids. And let's say that drive only takes five minutes, but in that five minutes you breathe and you relax and you just let it go. And the kids get in the car and instead of being like, get in the car, come on, we got to go. You're like, Hey guys, how's it going? How was your day? (laughs) That in and of itself is enough to make a big difference. And so sometimes when we're in the middle of a really stressful situation, It doesn't take, you know, let's say you're giving a big presentation at work. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to take a 30 minute meditation period before you go out to give your presentation. Yes, that would be phenomenal. But what if two minutes before you step onto stage, you just stop and think about why you're doing this, why it's important to you and Give yourself a little bit of a pep talk that I'm just going to do my best and I'm going to enjoy this because it's meant to be enjoyed and then go and enjoy it. How crazy would that be? (laughs) So it's little things like that. It, It obviously being able to take 30 minutes to meditate every day would be phenomenal, but sometimes our lives are busy and that's difficult to do. So what if you could take five minutes, start with five. And it was so good this time that the next time you do 10 and the next time you do 15, that's, that's awesome. But once you do 15, if then next time you can only do five, that's okay. Just doing it sometimes and taking the time out for yourself is powerful enough to make a big difference. So it's the little things and that counts in every category. So balancing your checkbook or reading a book or going for a walk or Touching your spouse on the shoulder, your partner on the shoulder as you walk through a room and making that physical connection. And that's it. Sometimes those little things add up to make a pretty amazing life. Mm -hmm. And I think we forget that, you know, these, these little moments, we're always on all the time, right? We have our phones on us, you know, buzzing constantly and just, you know, like you said, running around or trying to meet work deadlines. And you might think, I don't have time for meditation or I don't even know what meditation is. Do I have to sit cross-legged and say, <laughs> Om? I mean, is that meditation or can I meditate? Cause you just mentioned like we could be in the car and just kind of have almost like a moment of silence, like a, huh. And a deep breath. Is that meditation? Absolutely. Another thing that is meditation that I don't think people often think about is prayer. So I know that people spend, many people spend time with God or with a higher presence or whatever. And that time is meditation. So absolutely capturing those little moments and being mindful in those little moments and, and just spending some time just focusing on where you are and what you're doing and why it's important and being mindful and giving yourself a presence in that moment in time can be another form of meditation. And no, you don't have to sit cross-legged. I've worked with many patients as a physical therapist who could not sit (laughs) cross-legged. And so that means that the entire genre of meditation would be lost to them. So you can sit anywhere, right? You could stand and meditate. So you can walk and meditate. That's one of the things that I love about exercise to me, exercise is a, fun, is a form of moving meditation. 
And as you move, and we often think of yoga as this, but if you've ever watched someone who is playing any game, soccer, basketball, football, volleyball with joy, and they are just right there in that moment, what a beautiful thing that is. When people go for runs, mindful meditation, going for a walk and just soaking in your environment, mindful, moving meditation. What a beautiful thing. There's so many ways that we can go about doing it. It doesn't mean that you have to sit cross-legged in an ashram and have strum circles behind you and singing bowls and things like that. You don't need any of that to be able to meditate, but giving yourself the opportunity to have mindful minutes or moments, I think can be very, very powerful. That's awesome. I do love yoga. I love like sitting there and doing things like that, but I'd never heard of this term moving meditation. And I never thought of yoga as moving meditation. Of course it is, but walking, yeah, walking is something I do. I used to be an avid runner. So I ran a marathon and I used to do five K's and, you know, half marathons, things like that. Um, and I don't move well anymore. (laughs) Children, (laughs) I'm not as much of a mover and a shaker, but walking, I walk every day and I walk big Hills, you know, Nashville has these crazy Hills. So I get to do like, it's like hiking every day. Um, we call them mountains in Ohio, but I guess in Nashville, they're called Hills. I would call it. I'm from Arizona. They are not mountains. Okay. They're right. Okay. Fair, (laughs) fair, fair, fair. Um, but yeah, I think that this moving meditation and I find more sometimes there's moments I find sometimes I need the quiet, but sometimes I need to move and my creativity just gets like crazy when I'm walking. I have all these ideas and inspiration, you know, I podcast when I walk. So that's a form of meditation. Absolutely. And there is so much science that speaks to creativity when you are moving that how powerful it can be when we do that. And so things like walking meetings are a thing because our creativity and our ability to communicate with one another are so much improved when we do something like walking for a meeting. Plus it also breaks down some of those barriers that may be challenges like making eye contact during a meeting. And instead of making eye contact, if you're talking about a difficult situation, sometimes walking and talking is easier because you have to pay attention to the sidewalk or the streetlights or people around you. And so having those conversations can be much easier. But um, as far as that movement and that movement being a form of meditation, yoga is an excellent example of it, right? So as you go through, especially if you were doing a series of poses where you are moving through it and that movement becomes very fluid, even if it's not pretty, but you are fluidly moving from one movement to another. And all you're thinking about is that movement and you're in that moment, that absolutely can be a form of meditation. Sometimes, so I used to own a horse. And one of the things I loved about going out to visit Bobby Socks was that I really couldn't think about anything else when I was out there. If I didn't pay attention to what I was doing, one of us was going to get hurt. Generally, it was going to be me. And so (laughs) when I went out there, I had to leave everything at the door of the barn because if I wasn't paying attention, something wrong was going to happen. You know, saddle was going to slip or I was going to fall or he was going to kick me or I was going to, you know, whatever it was. And so riding him became one of my forms of moving meditation. I just had to be with him and taking that time out from my life was, I wish I would have done it more. I I love that. And can we just talk for a minute though, about the name of your horse, Bobby Socks? (laughs) 
How adorable is that? He had three white socks on from like right above his ankle down. And it was a name that I inherited with him because I inherited him from someone, but it was um, very, it was very fitting. So, oh my gosh, I love that one. Of course, like everything you said too, I want to be mindful of how, you know, being out with a horse, you have to be just so on it, right? Um, you can't have your phone buzzing. You can't everything around you and in nature in general. I think that's a big part of it. So right now we're in February of a new year and I kind of want to go to these new year's resolutions. I personally am not a new year's resolution person. I just don't think they always pan out. I feel like it's a lot of pressure on like the first of a year to make all these resolutions. And I'm really glad that I didn't make a new year's resolution, like just one, I kind of do year round resolutions, but I'm really glad this year because we were one of those unfortunate statistics that just had COVID. I've, you know, have my vaccine and booster. So we were all fine, but we did have to stay home for the week. So any kind of goals I had, I mean, there was homeschool, there was everything, two kids, homeschool, trying to take care of everything else, working at the same time. Cause we all know how to work remotely now. And it just like would have been a disaster had I had a new year's resolution, like life happens. We're in a global pandemic. It's hard. Is there something to my thoughts of having more of like these year round resolutions versus putting all your energy and anxiety into having, you know, January 1st hit the ground running? Um, What do you think about, you know, this year round resolution versus new year's resolution? So I have to admit to a bit of a bias, Jen, because I wholeheartedly agree. I do (laughs) think that putting all your eggs in the New Year's resolution basket is kind of dangerous because if something goes awry in January and then it's an epic fail and you let it go because, oh, they just didn't work out. That means you can't do anything else or make any changes until December again of the following. (laughs) So you have another 11 and a half months before you can actually make a positive change in your life. So I completely agree. I think that resolutions are best served when they best serve you. And if you need to make a change, instead of waiting for New Year's Eve to come around, make that change now. If it's something that's going to benefit you, then why wait? And what are we waiting for? I really think that instead of focusing on New Year's resolutions, let's make resolutions year round and try to get the benefits out of them year round instead of waiting until New Year's Eve so that you give yourself a chance to truly be successful with those goals instead of getting to February and be like, eh, well, that didn't work. And then letting it go for the year. Yeah. So it's not like if you, if you failed already, which I wouldn't say you failed, but if you didn't meet your resolutions, you shouldn't give up. You still have 11 more months or maybe 11 years. You can have have a 10 year resolution. 101 years left to go. Maybe (laughs) why let it just stick to one year? Maybe this is something that is a lifestyle change that you need to make. And now is a great time to start. And if you already had that as your new year's resolution and it's February and you've hit a bump in the road and haven't been perfect at it, that's okay. You can keep going or start over or find a new one. And that, and those are okay too. This kind of brings me to a Facebook question we had on Grounded on Purpose on the Facebook page. John asked, how much of a role does habit play in health and wellness? So are habits important when we're doing these? 
That's such an excellent question because habits can be such a huge help to us when we're trying to establish new behaviors and they can also be a huge barrier. So I once spoke to someone who was talking about quitting smoking and her problem with quitting smoking is that it was part of her habit. She lit a cigarette every time she got in her car and she could tell me the precise procedures that she used up until she got to lighting her cigarette. She would open the car door, she'd get into the car, she'd pull her seatbelt, she'd push the lighter button. Back in the days when we had lighter buttons, she'd push the lighter button and then she would turn on the engine and then the lighter button would pop out. She would light her cigarette, she'd put it back and then she'd take her first puff of the cigarette, put it back in her mouth and put the car into drive. It was a habit. And so breaking that habit made it so difficult for her to quit smoking because she was lost. She didn't, I mean, it, she had to rethink her pattern completely, right? So if you can establish a pattern of positive behaviors, then that is a wonderful tool to use when it comes to improving your health and your wellness, but breaking negative habits can be very, very challenging. Yeah. Part of habits too, that might help. And this is something that helps me and I don't do enough of it, um, is making habits or like commitments with friends. I commit to my friends to like walking. There's a great park next to our house and it's has a million trails and I'm always committed. So like, okay, I'm going to meet you at 8am before work. And can we go on a walk and catch up? It's so like therapeutic in so many ways because friendships are amazing. Um, but is part of that just having like a buddy or having a friend and a commitment where you can't not go? Absolutely. And this is one of the reasons why personal trainers sometimes have jobs because that accountability can be so incredibly important, right? And that's what your friends are holding you accountable for. Not necessarily the walk, but the time that you committed to doing the walk with them. And that is so important. Anytime you share your goal with somebody else, whatever that goal is, keeping your checkbook balanced, spending less money on Amazon, going for walks every morning, whatever it is, every time you share that with somebody else, you've put it out into the universe and now somebody is holding that expectation for you. And sometimes just knowing that somebody else is counting on you to do what you said you were going to do, even if it's for yourself, can be very powerful. So we've talked about habits. We've talked about relationships and sometimes like our relationships can also bring down our wellness. And I want to get into boundaries here. We, especially women have trouble saying no to things and that affects our health and wellness. Can you talk about boundaries and taking time for personal uh, mental health and physical health, all the things and how boundaries play into this? Because I think it's something that I don't know that we talk about it enough and I'm very bad at this. I'm a pleaser. I'm whatever the Enneagram says. I'm a pleaser and I just want everyone to be happy all the time. And that means my boundaries are so off all the time because I'm stretched and not well sometimes. (laughs) So how do we control that and make sure that we're being well, physically, mentally, all of the wellness in, in one big chunk there? Boundaries are a big challenge, I think. And Sometimes they're a challenge because we don't know that they're there. We don't know because somebody's busted through our boundaries and we've let them in and we've given them the power over us 
to make decisions for us or to tell us what's right or wrong. And sometimes it happens and we don't even realize it. And I think that's a huge challenge. And that's where relationships can be challenging as well. So I think that one of the things we have to consider when it comes to boundaries is what's important to us and how are we compromising ourselves by allowing other people to cross our boundaries or to push us into spaces that we may not belong. It's one thing to test your willingness to try new things and to have friends that encourage you to try new things. But when those new things are things that are detrimental to your health or your well-being. And it could be something as simple as choosing to go out tonight instead of studying for that test that you have tomorrow, or choosing to have that third glass of wine when you said you were going to stop at one, or, you know, it's all those little things that people often encourage us to make decisions because they may be good for them or what they are interested in that moment, but not necessarily what's the best for you. Sometimes people couch encouraging you to do something that may be detrimental to you because they think that it's going to be good for you and it may not be good for you. And so I think it really takes time understanding and knowing yourself. And that's really, really hard because a lot of us don't take the time to know and understand ourselves well enough to be able to help ourselves make those decisions. And so sometimes we turn those over to other people and let them make those decisions for us. And that's really challenging because whether you've watched someone in a relationship making poor decisions or spending money and making poor decisions or at work and doing projects for everybody else and maybe not necessarily themselves or in addition to themselves, like you said, they're trying to keep everybody happy and are completely miserable themselves. That is so challenging because we want everybody to be happy. But it's impossible for everyone to be happy all at the same time, all the time. That's just not a thing. Mm -hmm. So taking care of yourself, it's impossible to take care of other people too, if you don't take care of yourself. It seems quite selfish and it's a very challenging thing to do, but it's probably one of the most selfless things that you can do sometimes is take care of yourself first because you being healthier and more well enables you to better take care of the people around you because you have more to give. Setting boundaries is extremely important, extraordinarily difficult, and yet definitely critically imperative to us staying healthy and well. Mm-hmm. And, and on this point of boundaries, there was a really interesting, another question on Facebook that was asked that we wanted you to weigh in on. And this person said, how can I respectfully avoid family and friends who don't have the same ideas around COVID vaccines as an immunocompromised person? I've tried to maintain boundaries, be careful, et cetera, but as the very real COVID fatigue sets in and people are becoming more and more relaxed or opinionated about exposing themselves in large group settings, how can I participate in life yet protect myself without offending people? And I think this is a really important question because I think a lot of us, you know, aren't always thinking of people who are immunocompromised and you know, can't really cannot go out in these settings the same way some of us are. We're all tired. I mean, it's been two years of this and there has to be some kind of boundaries, right? But for this person in particular who is in these shoes, these very difficult shoes, how do you kind of maintain those boundaries and truly for your own health, for for your life's sake in this case? This is really hard because 
we all have to make the best decisions for ourselves. And if someone doesn't respect the decision that you've made, particularly if you're protecting your health, especially as someone who is immunocompromised, or if you live or work with somebody who's immunocompromised, or you care about somebody who's immunocompromised, I think that we all forget, like you said, we forget that there are people out there that even though I may not care if I get COVID, there is somebody who very much cares whether or not I get COVID, but then there are also people who very much care whether or not they get COVID. And knowing your limitations, what you are, what risks you are willing to take, what risks you're willing to expose yourself to, I think is really important and establishing that boundary and then sticking to it because there will be people that will be unhappy with your decision and they're just going to have to be unhappy with your decision. And I think owning that and knowing that for yourself and about yourself can be so empowering. You have to make the best decision for yourself and for your health, because if you choose to make the best decision for somebody else or based on somebody else's ideas or opinions, you put yourself in a position where you are going to be at risk and it is just not worth it. So wear your mask, encourage your friends around you to wear their masks. And if they choose not to, that's okay. You have a decision to make then. Do you continue to hang out with them, but wear your mask? Or do you hang out with other people who are willing to wear their masks because they know that you are immunocompromised? It's so important to surround yourself with people who are respectful of your own health situation and not worry about everybody else because clearly their consideration has not included you. That's a great way to put it. And I think it's hard. I mean, again, I I would assume that, you know, this person is a pleaser like I am, right? Mm -hmm. And just wants everyone to be happy around them. And now you're just at, you know, your wits end trying to please everyone. But really at the end of the day, sometimes it's about you. And in this case, especially, right? Right. And quite sometimes it's our own families who know our situations and understand what that immunocompromised situation means and yet still encourage us to make these decisions or take these actions that are very, very risky. And that's really, really hard when a family member who loves you doesn't respect that boundary. That is really, really hard. And I know so many people who are going through that. And yet I also know plenty of people who are losing loved ones right now because they didn't respect those boundaries. And whether it means that that person has gotten critically ill from COVID because they chose not to maintain some of these healthcare protocols that we know are so important, or because they've had to sever relationships for now because that person isn't respecting their boundaries. And it's all very hard, but COVID is very real. And science is not lying to us about the fact that masks and hand sanitizers and social distancing are all very effective means of limiting the transmission of this virus. And so for this person, I just really hope that they find a way to maintain relationships and stay engaged in life and seek new things, but find ways to do it very safely and people that will respect their boundaries and do that with them very safely as well. 
Yeah. And I think this leads to another, so this is an, a different person with a question, but um, one way that you might be able to do that, if you do need to really stay inside and keep those boundaries and um, not, you know, not be in, in public areas a lot, um, virtual workouts or meditation <laughs> videos. So this person's asking, what are the best virtual workouts, meditation videos or apps? What's there's the market is so saturated out there. What do you recommend or listen to or, and I can weigh into, I really like um, simple habit. I actually had kind of a freak illness before COVID in 2018, I came down with viral meningitis and it was horrible. And I was in and out of the hospital. Um, it was such a freak thing. It was right after I had my second daughter and I was so, I had so much anxiety and I was so stressed and I found simple habit through a friend. Someone told me about it and I would just listen to it as I went to bed at night. And that's something fun. It's a meditation app, but it also just helped me finally sleep and put my mind at ease. These people, just their voices. I'm like, Oh, I can like hear Corey Muscara right now. He was the one I like always listen to on repeat. I'm like, Corey, just talk to me, but I would just lay there in bed and listen. And kind of, he just calmed my brain. So I love simple habit, but what are some apps and programs or even workout programs? Like some people get their wellness from, you know, Pilates or these other programs. What would you recommend, Marie? So the challenge to this question, Jen, for me is that everybody likes something so different. So I'm going to give you a couple of examples. Um, some very heavy hitters right now are um, apps like Peloton and iFit and Apple Health. The biggest challenge is finding something that you enjoy, that you're going to do again, that you'll come back to. Some of my favorite meditation workouts, I could, I have enjoyed doing things with calm. Headspace is another one. Breathe is another one where they just help you work on being mindful of where you are and taking a time out and just being present in that moment. But I can also tell you, similar to what you said, I have recently been listening to Scottish Rain on the Road, and that has been just glorious, not only as far as helping me fall asleep, but then also just helping me calm my mind and just be in a place where I could listen to Scottish Rain on the Road. And that's a beautiful thing. So I think the hardest part is finding something that works for you. But that's also the most important part is finding something that works well for you. And that goes back to habit, right? And that goes back to habit, right? Something that you can form into a habit because you enjoy it and you find success in it. And it's something that you look forward to and that you will go back to and helping you form that positive habit is really, really important. I think this brings up a good point about, I always ask because you know, this is my, my area where I'm doing all the research all the time, but, um, our phones and social media in particular, right. Our phones can be so good because they bring us these apps. They bring us workouts and things, especially during a pandemic we're zooming right now. You're in Belfast. I mean, I'm, I'm in Nashville here in Belfast, right? Like these are awesome things. Technology brings us, but are our phones also a part of what's not so great about our wellness. I mean, just being on them all the time. I know social media, you get that dopamine hit. Science tells us that like we can't get off it. That helps the social media companies. That's why they do so well and make billions of dollars. But also that can't be good for us, right? Right. So there's a lot of science right now that is speaking to that dopamine that we that dopamine hit that we get when we interact with our phones and social media. And it's fascinating to have conversations with students about their social media or about the time that they spend on their devices. And 
We've had some great conversations about how easy it is to avoid eye contact with people when you are looking at your devices, how easy it is to completely miss walking past someone or seeing something new or what's going on around you because you're so attached to that device. I was on a study abroad trip to Australia and we were doing these amazing things like snorkeling in the Great Barrier Reef. We were hiking in the Karanda Mountains. We were zip lining and doing all these amazing things. And yet some of our students were so connected to their friends back home on their devices and missing some of the things that we were doing that were right in front of them that were once in a lifetime things. Yeah, our devices are challenging because they are ubiquitous. They're everywhere, right? And you and I being able to talk, like you said, by Zoom to one another thousands of miles across the planet is so incredible. And yet sometimes we miss out on other connections when we are so tied to our devices that we cannot look past them. They are great tools for, like you said, apps and information, the things that you can find on your phone through the internet or an app or some other sort of device is absolutely incredible. And yet it probably would have made for a much better conversation for you to ask your uncle about his experience in the military than it was for you to Google it. Or to ask your mom what it was like to bake that certain dish or your grandfather. My grandfather used to make lemon meringue pies. I wish I would have had more conversations with him about lemon meringue pies and how he made them because that was always my birthday treat instead of now Googling how to make a lemon meringue pie. (laughs) So yeah, sometimes we just need to put it down and walk away and just be in the world we are. Um, and, and just enjoy that time together with other people or the space that we're in. That's hard to do. It's really hard to do, but you can get dopamine from other things. And that's the awesome thing about dopamine is that you go for a walk and that can give you dopamine. You read a great book that can give you dopamine. There's just a lot of other sources that can be so much more healthy for us as humans and as a planet than using just our devices. I love that. So now it's confession time. What has been your biggest, and this could be from your past trip too, since you've just gotten to Belfast, but what's been your biggest dopamine hit from, from Northern Ireland? So right now Queens university is following COVID protocols and they are meeting online for classes. So right now my biggest dopamine hit has come from getting outside and going for walks. And I've been doing urban walks so far, but the last time we were here, my family and I went out to Castle Wellen and went for a walk out there. So it's it's just little things like that. Just getting outside makes all the difference in the world. And so I think one of the things that I'm going to try to do while I'm here is just explore as much of this city as I can on foot. I don't have a car. I don't have a bike. I don't even have a scooter or a skateboard with me. And so relying on my two feet to get me everywhere I can, I'm really excited about kind of really gathering some miles and just exploring the city that is just so lovely. And the people here are so lovely. It's just really exciting. So that's, that's been my major hit this trip around. I love that. And just, you know, like you said, just appreciating everything around you, right? Putting the phone down, appreciate all the the nature that's around you. Side note. So I just watched the movie Belfast. I actually just watched it this past weekend. Have you seen that? 
I have not seen it oh yet. Oh my goodness. You'll have to, yeah, you'll have to take a time out and watch that. So it's up for a ton of awards. It's, you know, Golden Globes, SAG Awards, um, but it's about this young boy who's growing up in the sixties during the troubles in Northern Ireland, but it's yeah. about his family. And I think there's so many wellness messages, I guess, maybe if I watched it again, I would view it through all the wellness messages, but just about go. like, yeah, like the connection. And that was, I, I think it's funny. I actually don't watch a lot of TV because I worked in TV so long, but lately part of my kind of timeout, part of my wellness is to just sit and watch something. And usually it's a movie or a documentary because I'm a huge documentary fan. Um, but I, I did, I watched this knowing I was going to talk to you. I said, I'm going to watch Belfast and it's just one of the most beautiful stories. Um, and I loved it. So, uh, I'm thinking of you as you're in Belfast, <laughs> this well, boy, <laughs> yes. And this boy should get the Academy award because he's amazing. This little boy, he's so sweet, but it's such a wonderful movie. Um, awesome. I will say very quickly, one other thing that gave me a huge dopamine rush today was the opportunity to interact with a few people at Queens university. The people in Northern Ireland are just the most amazingly kind, generous, thoughtful people that you could possibly meet and so friendly and so welcoming. And so just getting to meet two people who were extraordinarily helpful and kind and thoughtful and just interested and interesting. We just don't get that enough, I think, in our lives. So that was a pretty awesome experience as well. Yeah. And that's a really, that's another part. Sometimes we don't think of how much different cultures and different people from like all different perspectives and walks of life can really, again, give us that dopamine hit, but give us that enrichment. What's the importance as you do, you've done so many study abroad trips, you mentioned Australia, Belfast, what are, you know, some things that you take away each time from different places where you experience these different things? I think one of the most important things is that no matter how different we all think we are, we really all want the same things in the end. We want to be happy. We want our family, our children to be safe and healthy. We want to live a good life in a, in a good place and be safe. We all just want the same types of things, no matter where we live around the world. All right, Marnie, this brings us to the final minutes of the podcast. Welcome to the speed round. So in just a few <laughs> words, this is the final two minutes here. So just in a few words, tell me, what does the word grounded mean to you? Grounded means to me knowing who I am, what I want out of this life, and how I'm going to go about getting it, while at the same time, loving everybody around me as much as I possibly can and letting them know that. That's a great one. So what's feeding your purpose right now in terms of books, podcasts, songs, documentaries, movies? So I have a friend at Belmont who is in charge of motion pictures and he is constantly feeding me movies to watch or books to read. So right now I'm reading Hench, which was his recommendation. And then yesterday I watched Winter's Bone with Jennifer Lawrence, and that was phenomenal. How do you funnel through or block out the noise, whether that's a phone buzzing or that voice of doubt, that uncertainty that echoes in your head? I think when I am struggling the most, the thing I have to do is really just push away. I always make the analogy of pushing away from the edge of the pool and just give myself a moment away from the edge of the pool and just 
take a time out, take a deep breath, whatever it is, and give myself the opportunity to kind of gather myself, especially in those tough moments, the phone is ringing and somebody's talking to you and you, know, you have a deadline that's looming and, and all of those things coming at one time. And sometimes I just have to walk away too. I just have to walk away. So if I can push myself away from the edge of the pool, and that means that by doing so, I turn my phone over and I go to a different room and continue working on whatever I was working on. Sometimes that's what I have to do. So it really, yeah, it varies, but usually those are the biggest things that take a deep breath and just try to let it go for a minute, gather myself. If you had to sum up your purpose in five words or less, what would you say? Love as many, as hard, and as fast as I can. Marnie Vandenoven, thank you so much for taking all this time. We appreciate you. And I feel like I've had kind of a deep breath just talking to you. So thank you so much. We just were grateful for all you do. Thank you so much, Jen. It was a huge honor to be with you. Thank you for listening to Grounded on Purpose. If you enjoy the podcast, please take a moment to subscribe and leave a rating, which helps others find us and helps our small team to know we should keep producing more episodes. You can also follow us on Instagram at Grounded on Purpose. Every day is a gift with a new lesson. Please join us once a month as we get grounded together on purpose. Grounded on Purpose is produced by myself and Jess Olekshi. Music by Jay Lauren and Mike Olekshi. Thanks again for listening.